Uh, I'm excited today, uh, just a, a bit of a heads up. Uh, the message today, I, I actually, last night I was going over my notes again, and uh, I may have bit off more than I can chew in a sermon, okay? So uh, two things that I just ought to share with you as we get into this. One, if you are a note taker, good luck. I'm going to go fast, okay? So if, if, like, if you wanted pictures or whatever, however you want to do that, you can also download the notes online, obviously. Uh, but I did put a lot of stuff on the screen, and I kind of did it on purpose this week. Uh, and it's going to feel, just bear with me, give me a chance to do it this week. It's going to feel a little bit more like a, like a college lecture today because I, I just, there's so much good content. And there's no way I can get through it without really, without really drilling, drilling in. So I'm going to go fast. Uh, take notes. You can download stuff online if you want to do that as well. And then the very last thing I would say is the way this comes across is going to come across as an exhaustive list. And it is not. There are other attributes of us being made whole that I just don't have time to get to in this. So it is a great list from Christ, uh, but it, I'm not going to be able to go through the whole Sermon on the Mount, just the, the first part. We're going to do just the Beatitudes. Um, all right, let's jump into this. I want to offer you a question to think about, and then we're going to get into the meat of this scripture. And I, I, I love this. I love this. What are your rules for life? I mean, like, what are your rules for life? Do you have any boundary keepers that you have purposely put into your life that directs your day? Uh, and here's what, I, here's what I mean by rules for life, rules for living. That's what I mean by rules for living. There are various forces that influence our lives, okay? In fact, even now, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would fire the mind, connect ideas. This is kind of deep in its first service and the ca caffeine is still kicking in. Um, I pray for spiritually charged minds and hearts and spirits in your name, Lord. There are various forces that influence our lives. Some are explicit and others are implicit, all right? So an explicit rule might include obeying a speed limit, like that rule controls you. You're driving down the road, you look up and see the sign that says 70 miles an hour, and you think, I'm not going to abide by that. And then a cop pulls you over that you go to church with, and you're like, oh, I know you. They're like, you still get a ticket. No, oh, so right, like there are explicit rules boundary keepers that control us. It might be obeying a speed limit sign or refraining from stealing. Like it's, an, it's a very clear rule. If you steal, you have to pay this fine or go to jail if it's big enough, whatever it is, right? These can be thought of as rules. These can be thought of as rules of life. They are rules of life. These can be thought of as rules for life. They're explicit. You know them. They're clear. They're cultural. They're in books. They're in law books. They're on the side of the road. The explicit and implicit influences that guide our, our human experience. Okay, so implicit rules are this. Implicit rules involves what is considered like humorous. Did you know that humor is very culturally shaped? Things that are funny in one culture, like I, I've always been amazed. We have, of course, our, our ministry to the grace of God. Uh, we have a strong Latino presence in some of our services. And we have, of course, the, uh, those Myanmar and Burma downtown. And we've got, and so when you're with other cultures, they'll say something and it'll be translated and you're like, that's, that's not funny. Like, I don't, I don't understand why. Like, humor is very shaped by culture. So implicit rules involve what is considered, like, humorous or what might be, like, an acceptable hairstyle. Like, it's a rule for living, rule for life. It's maybe not explicit, but you kind of know when you get up and you look at your hair, you're like, that's not okay. 
You know, that's not okay. And so explicit and implicit rules. Um, here's what Prudent spending of money. Like what's an okay way to spend your money? It's kind of like a so, social constructed, this is okay. I can celebrate this. I can share this publicly way of spending money. Or even like what a day off or a day of rest should look like. It's all shaped by culture. So like when you watch a commercial and it's like, oh, finally, like the, the whole thing is teaching you, oh, finally a day of rest and the person jumps on the couch and turns on Netflix and starts binging a TV show and ordering a pizza, like you are being taught this is supposed to be restful. These can be thought of as rules for life. These can be thought of as rules for life. The explicit and implicit influences that guide our human experience. Okay, Hopefully this will make sense. If, 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 you, if, this is, if you don't get this, it's hard to understand the significance of the Sermon on the Mount. Many people go through life unaware of these forces. They simply abide by them like people do with like gravity. You just abide by them. They're controlling you. Some become aware of these rules, like fewer people become aware of these rules of life that influence them, and they begin to question their validity. It's like, I mean, maybe like you got saved or you gave your life to the Lord and you showed up at work and the guy next to you told a really perverted joke. And for the first time, you're like, why do I think that's funny? You have that aha moment where now you're not just kind of victim to these rules, but now all of a sudden it's like you step above it for a moment. A few people take it a step further by attempting to establish their own rules of life. So it's like they can see the matrix. I'm going to use that movie reference on purpose, right? They can see the matrix that they are in and they step above it and they're like, I want to attempt to make my own rules of life, my own boundary keepers for living. This has been done many times throughout history. However, one stands However, one stands above them all, one who profoundly observed and offered an alternative set of rules to live by. His name was? Now, here's the crazy thing, okay? Even if you are not a Christian, so like to all of our online crew, that's usually where people, most people, when they're curious about Christianity, they'll watch. I mean, I talked with a guy a number of years ago. He watched for almost a year online before he finally came physically. So like to our online, especially to our online people, if you're like, I'm not sure I believe in this whole Jesus thing, even if you don't believe that Jesus actually walked, even if you think he's like a made-up character, let's just hit pause for a second. He is still the most influential person that's walked on this planet. Billions of people have been shaped by him. Even if you don't believe that he's real, objectively, he is the most influential person that's walked on this planet. And the way he influenced this world, again, we obviously do think he's real here, uh, but the way he did influence this world is he said, hey, look, there's a new way to do the human experience. Unbelievably influential. His name was Jesus. So let's do a quick practice. And see if you are aware of what rules are shaping you. So like level one is you just live by all of these rules of living and you're kind of victim to it and you're unaware of it. What you think is funny, what's appropriate spending of money, what a day off looks like, whatever, right? Then it's like level two is like you're aware, oh wait, these are controlling how I view the world. Then it's like level three, I think I want to make new rules for living. Then it's like level four is like I know what the objective best rules for living are. So let's do this real quick. Let's do a quick practice and see if you are aware of what rules are shaping you. 
I'm just going to ask a couple questions. You don't have to respond. They're rhetorical. So here we go. Who influences your perception of appropriate spending habits? Like, in your mind, you get an extra $1,000. Surprise! Where does your mind, like, go? What's an appropriate way to spend that? Who has shaped that? Is the first thing that pops in your mind pay off debt? You got, like, massive Dave Ramsey shaping in you? That's not necessarily bad. Just are you aware of it? If you get $1,000 in your hand, do you naturally go to, like, you know what? Or going on... Airbnb, vacation, let's do it. Maybe for you, it's like, that's it. I'm, I'm buying a new computer, right? Like, I mean, who shapes that? Just who shapes your desires that lead you to think this is the right way to spend my money? Are you just aware? I'm not, I'm not even putting moral right or wrong or ethic on this. I'm just literally asking, are you aware of what shapes appropriate spending habits in your life and heart? Are you aware of it? Another question might be this. Who molds your perception of appropriate clothing to wear? I was thinking about this uh, when I first moved here a number of years ago. This gentleman has passed away. I did his funeral uh, maybe seven years ago now. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful older man. And I came here, and I had been heavily, so like I grew up, I literally was working at Crossroads, a huge megachurch in Dallas, and it was very like business casual was the attire by the time. So like I had, without even thinking about it, I was kind of trained to wear this on a Sunday morning. I didn't even think about it. Like as a young guy in a system, watching people around me, buying clothes, I end up wearing this kind of stuff on a Sunday. And I remember it was one of my first Sundays here. I walked in the back and an older gentleman came up to me and he goes, that's not appropriate for a Sunday. And I'm, I'm serious. Like in my mind, I thought, Oh, like, I, I, I didn't even know there was a war. Like, all of a sudden it dawned on me, oh, there are people that think that this isn't appropriate. And so, and again, this is just the way I view the world. Like, I mean, I got a little academic part of my brain, right? So I'm like, why do you think that's true? And he's like, well, you got to give God your best. And I was like, these shoes are 120 bucks. How much are yours? What do you mean by Best. You know, and we had this really interesting conversation back and forth. Who models your perception of appropriate clothing? Again, I'm not trying to attach an ethic to either of those, right? At this moment, I'm not trying to attach an ethic. I'm literally asking the question, do you have the awareness to ask the question, what has shaped my view of these things? What rules of living have shaped my way of viewing this? Do you get what I'm asking? I'm not trying to say ethically right or wrong in this moment. That's not my purpose. It's are you aware of what shaped it? Who shapes your concept of an ideal day of relaxation? Who shapes that? Like what does an ideal relaxing day look like? Um, I was talking with some people the other day and they were just sharing like, you know, an ideal relaxing day is binging Netflix and ordering pizza while sitting on the couch. And I was like, man, you know, the odd thing for me is if I do that all day long, I get to the end of my day and I feel worse. I feel like I wasted my day. I mean, maybe there is some personality that plays into it. Like, I mean, I get that. But literally just what shapes your idea? Like when I get to the end of a day off, I want to feel renewed. 
That's what I want to feel. I want to feel renewed, charged, ready to go, ready to take on the world. I don't want to stay up really late. I'm going to feel worse the next day. Right? Like, who shapes that? Why is that in me that way? I mean, is it good or bad? Is it morally right or wrong? I'm just, just asking, are you aware of what shaped these things? So, Back to the idea, undeniably the most influential person in history who could see the hidden matrix we are in, we are trapped in, and offered a new way to do the human experience was and is Jesus. He saw the matrix. So you have to imagine this, like the Sermon on the Mount, all of this complex historical people groups, I mean, Pax Romana, right, like the, 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 power of Rome. They all gather together. People are unsatisfied and they're at war and they don't like the controlling powers, the the political systems that are over them. And they don't like other people groups. And there's this like underlying racism all over the place. And I mean, in all of this complexity, nobody's happy with the human experience. Jesus steps up on the Sermon on the Mount and this is what happens. He offered people a new rule of life. A new set of principles to compass us, to compass them. I mean, in a sense, if you've ever seen the movie The Matrix, I had to watch it in my philosophy class years ago, which is super interesting. In a sense, Jesus like grabbed these people and he's like, pops them out of the matrix. And he's like, look, look around the human life that you're living, the human experience that you're in. Can you see how it's so shaped by all of these things that don't have to have control over you? There's a new way to do the human experience. And I literally mean this. The most famous sermon ever preached in human history started. The Sermon on the Mount. Now, for the sake of time, we can't go through all of it. In fact, the reality is, I'm just going to go through a few verses, and and this might be a long sermon. There's just so much good stuff here. And I... I'm writing these sermons and like I go through like the first run of it and it's like 40 some minutes long and I'm like, I gotta cut stuff. So I cut stuff. Then I go through like another run of it still too, I gotta cut more stuff and I gotta cut more stuff. And, I, and so like by the time I bring a sermon to you, the truth is I'm bringing what I think is most important, what I think is most important, but the stuff that I've had to trim off, I really love. And so bear with me as I try to trim it down, probably not enough. We're gonna go fast, there's a ton here. So Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Listen, he is defining an ideal structure. See if you can see it. And then I'm going to walk you through it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Appetites. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Man, those phrases are so important. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you and false, against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. All right, let's get into this. And I'm going to go quick. Hang on. Hopefully the caffeine has kicked in. 
Let's begin by defining the word blessed. This is really important. To be ultra clear, hashtag blessed life is not the same as blessed in Scripture. Okay, like, I, I just be really clear. So when you're like on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or X or whatever it's called now or TikTok or whatever thing, right? When you're, when you're looking at all of our culture and people say, bless life, you know, like they buy a brand new car and they're like, bless life. They get like these really nice shoes, bless, hashtag bless life, you know, and they're like on this like killer vacation in the mouth, like hashtag bless life. Let me be really clear. Hashtag blessed life is not the same as really blessed as the scripture defines it. So blessed life, hashtag blessed life, as best as I can tell, is a celebration of a dopamine hit. That's what it is. I mean, as best as I can kind of hammer it down. Hashtag blessed life is basically a celebration of a dopamine hit. Blessed in scripture refers to someone who is in favor with God. It is living in honor. It's the difference between immediate gratification and deep satisfaction. It's the difference between investment, like I'm strategically investing, and just indulgence. Now, I do want to be clear. I don't think that having moments of dopamine hits are wrong. We just have to remember we are compassed by more than mere dopamine hits. Blessed is the person who knows their, what I would say is telos, right? Their purpose, their goal, the meaning of life. Here's the way to say it. Dopamine hits aren't necessarily bad. God made them. That's wonderful. But you are more than a mere animal. You have purpose, a goal, a direction, meaning in life. You have that. And to live fully into, to know your purpose and live into it is the blessed life. So uh, maybe a way to kind of talk about this is like, think about Blessed Mary through history. Maybe a way to like follow that phrase through history. And like the Catholic Church can offer us a lot more because they've been around longer. So if you follow the phrase blessed and you see what it's attached to and you follow it through. So like blessed, blessed Mary, blessed Mary. All through church history, when people said blessed Mary, they weren't imagining Mary eating like sweets, sitting on like a diamond-studded chariot, going like, bless life, Jesus' mom, right? That's not what it is. When it talks about blessed Mary, what it means is this woman was in favor with God. She had massive, immeasurable, divine, glorious meaning and purpose to her life. That's what it means. All right, let's work through the Beatitudes. So that's the word blessed, blessed. Let's work through the Beatitudes. Let's work for them found in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, what I would say is Jesus' rules for living. These are not exhaustive. There are other things that you could find in Scripture, like what self-care looks like. He doesn't get into a ton of that in this, but that could be a part of it too. So some of the rules for life as we find Jesus talking about them. All right, here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, uh, that phrase basically means like humble, humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the way to ultimate glorious wholeness and satisfaction is humility before God. So the way I would say it is this. Jesus begins 
his new rules for living by saying that humility before God is the way to heaven. Literally the way to the ultimate dopamine hit is to know your purpose and not just follow little tiny hits. Maybe it would be a way to say it. Jesus begins his new rules for living by saying that humility before God is the way to heaven. Literally, the ultimate honor and the ultimate satisfaction begins. The first rule of living begins with humility. So here would be the way to say it, maybe. The first general rule for life, according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, is this. We are a people. Hey, and I I literally mean this like all of us right now in this room. We are a people who submit to God's expectations above all other expectations. That's the first thing. That's what we are. How you might contextualize it. So this might be a way that you might contextualize this in your own life. I commit, maybe you write a statement like this. I commit to examine my life rhythms and finances. I use that on purpose because Jesus uses it as a tool in other texts. I commit to examine my life rhythms and finances on a whatever basis to see if I am prioritizing God's kingdom values above all others. Like your use of time, your use of your money, your use of like you actually take the time and go, are the things I'm prioritizing humble under God as divine direction? Or do I do part of my life where it's like, I like God's ideas here, but I am going to not be humble before the Lord with how I do my money because I like my way better than God's. Do do you see it? The first step, we are people who submit everything under God's values. All right, the next one, verse 4. Let's keep working through this. The second rule of life that Jesus offers Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Okay, so again, we've got some linguistic things we've got to work through to understand this. Jesus continues by showing how his kingdom people aren't afraid to be honest about their weaknesses. And they are willing to help others deal with theirs. So the whole idea of mourn is I am going to enter in to even hard places with you, and I need you to enter into even hard places with me. We're going to do this together. So maybe a second rule of life, according to Jesus. So we are a people who confess and deal with our issues and help others do the same. Whatever hard issue it is, we step into it with people, and we allow people to step into it with us. Some of you in this room, You struggle with getting into hard things with people. Other people in this room, you struggle with letting people into your hard places. But we are a people who step into transparency as a rule of life. Mourn. We mourn. We step into this with them. Okay, so how you might contextualize this idea, there's a lot more to it. But how you might contextualize it. I will make time to participate in Christian community. Blessed are those who more. You're going to step into this with them. You're going to let people step into it with you. I will prioritize time to participate in Christian community with, and then you fill in the blank. What would you put in there? 
We commit to be honest and transparent about how God's truth is working in our lives. In the hard things where there's loss and a loved one has passed away or we're in financial hardship. I mean, I I feel the weight of this broken world. We do this as a community. We participate in this together. The communal language that's in so much of scripture. And then you also let others do this for you as you help them. But who are you committed to and who are you participating with? Verse 5, we're going to keep going for the sake of time. There's so much more I could say about that. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus goes next. He next shows how people who live by his kingdom aren't arrogant jerks. Uh, Okay, so uh, somehow in our modern history, we've landed on this thing that like to be godly, is to like be a really overwhelming jerk and push agenda all over people. Like, like somehow that, if Jesus really thought the best way to win the human heart was to show up and overpower everyone, he wouldn't have come to this planet as a baby born in a small town to a poor single mom he would have come as like Thor. But he wins people through heart. That's the engine that we're in right now in this church age history. How will they know that you're my disciples? By your ability to beat up people you don't like. No, that's not what it says. How will they know you're right? By your love for one another. Literally, people look at you and are like, wow, your compass is different. You abide by another set of rules of life. Jesus next shows that people who live by his kingdom aren't arrogant jerks who love to have power over others. They are quick to serve and help even the most needy. That's the rule of life, the switch. You are helping people, not trying to lord power over them. You're not trying to climb the ladder necessarily. Now, God does grant leadership to people in areas, and I think that's on purpose, and praise God for that. But your heart is to to help, not climb over the top of. So the third general rule of life might be this. We are a people, we, us here as Christians, we are a people who prioritize serving people rather than having power over them. That's what we're going to prioritize. We're going to prioritize serving people rather than prioritize continually trying to have power over people. We're going to prioritize serving them. How you might contextualize it. So this is how you might contextualize it in your world. I give of my time, I give of my talent, and I give of my treasure to, you fill in the blank for your rule of life, without expecting anything in return. I remember uh, when I was, I used to be a, a worship leader uh, when I was in college, my undergrad, so I would travel and do like uh, music at different camps. And, uh, and then I was also over the worship at Oklahoma Wesleyan, the, the student, I was the student that was involved in leading the worship for the chapels at OWU. And uh, I remember while I was there, um, I'm leading, the, and the student leader of the worship teams, there was an actual adult that was over us, uh, but I was the, the student that was in charge of the worship. And uh, there was a there was an older gentleman that came in, very, very wealthy, and he donated an organ to the school. This like really, and a whole bunch of money for a new building. So donated a whole bunch of money for a new building and an organ all together in one package to the school. 
And after he donated the organ, man, I probably shouldn't say this as a, it's too late now. Um, and you could put the puzzle pieces together if you wanted to. I apologize. These people are long dead. So donated the organ. When the organ was donated, there was a meeting with us young students. So they came in and met with the students and they were like, such and such who donated all this money needs you to make sure that you now change your music to be organ-centered. You see what happened? He didn't give freely. He thrust his will on us with false generosity. So the question is, where do you give of your time, talent, and treasure to somebody and it's not an underhanded business deal? Or they owe you now? Where are you practicing actual generosity? I'm pointing to the cross for the podcast, right? I'm pointing to the cross. Where do you practice actual generosity? Is there anywhere in your life where actual open-handed generosity is giving to people, knowing that they might not use it the way you like? Now, hang on a second. Your generosity is one layer of faithfulness. Them using it right is another layer of faithfulness. It's two different things. Now, should they overlap a little bit? Sure. But you better believe the grace of God was given to humanity. And let's be honest, did humanity use it all well? But did God generously still give of himself? In fact, the scripture literally says, while we were still sinners, he gave. Praise be to God that we don't have to be perfect to be able to receive his generosity. You might contextualize it by saying, I give of my time, I give of my talent, I give of my treasure to fill in the blank without expecting anything in return. Where are you practicing actual generosity, not underhanded business deals, in the name of Jesus? That is countercultural. That's even counter Dave Ramsey a little bit. Love Dave Ramsey, by the way. I'm a huge fan of his in, in many ways. But like actual generosity. Another rule of life, another rule of life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh my goodness, I got to speed this up. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. All right, so here's the next step Jesus' rules of life. Jesus shifts his attention to appetites. We all have them appetites. I don't just mean appetite for food, but appetite for influence, appetite for sexuality, appetite for like all the appetites. Jesus shifts his attention to appetites. You are guided by more than mere dopamine hits now. Not that dopamine hits are always wrong, but now you're more than mere animal. You are now hunger. You hunger and you thirst for righteousness. You have a telos, a compass that's bigger than just simple dopamine hits. Let me give you one of many examples. I had a whole lot more I'd like to give, but I don't have the time this morning. For example, An affair may feel really good in the moment, oh, you mere animal. But a life of honorable marriage grants an honor that can be proud, that you can be proud of for forever. Pursuing righteousness satisfies at a deeper level than mere simple dopamine hits might. And it's not that dopamine hits are all wrong. It's just that you have a telos that compasses compasses them even more. So the fourth general rule of life might be this. We are a people who are driven by more than mere dopamine hits. We don't live as victims to our appetites. We understand, we understand, we understand, we understand 
pursuing what is right before God, righteousness is what will bring eternal honor and satisfaction. We understand this. You might contextualize it like this. How, so if you were to write a rule of life based on Jesus's, you might write it like this. I deny myself of, and then I don't know what that is in your life. I might deny, my, I deny myself of and pursue this because I know it honors God. So as you look, you examine your life. As you pop out of the matrix and you see a new way of doing the human experience, you're like, man, I need to deny myself of and I need to pursue or make time for or change priority to because I know it honors God. I'm going to go ahead and invite Josh up and I'm going to try to buzz through these last ones a little quicker. The next one, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Jesus teaches that compassion needs action. Compassion needs action. Merely feeling bad for people isn't enough. Kingdom of God people actually do something. They give of themselves to help those in need. They actually do something. The fifth general rule of life. We are people who actually engage. We are people who actually engage. We don't look at like the human trafficking with Destiny Rescue and we're like, oh, that's so sad for those little kids. They've been forced into drugs their whole life. They've been essentially abused by people. They've been overlooked and abandoned and I just, I feel bad for them. No, we are people that actually do something. We actually do something. We are going to actually do things when we see brokenness. We don't merely feel bad. We take action. So mercy in scripture is not merely feel bad. It is hands and feet. We look for needs that we can meet and we do it. We do it. How you might contextualize it. God has made me aware of, and all of us are different, by the way. Okay. Oh, man. This is... It's a rabbit trail. I'm already out of time. I just give me a second to just say this. I'm so sorry. It's going to make the service a little long. God often will put things on your heart. So it's like, I really feel bad for single moms or whatever, like on your heart. Or I really feel bad for Destiny Rescue you know, people and rescuing them out of human trafficking. Or I really feel bad for it. And what happens in the church world is instead of you taking action, you try to give away God's call in your heart by shaming other people. This is what actually happens. So then you go to the church and you meet people, talk to people and they're like, oh, I wish this church would just do more for the poor. What you mean is God called me to do something with the poor and I'm not willing to do it myself. And it's true that there are times the church could do more. But why don't you begin with you being faithful to what's on your heart? Begin. I'm not saying that every church does everything right. They do need to be held accountable at times. I agree with that. But most of the time, just start with you being faithful to what God's put on your heart. Just start with that. Yes, God can hold the systems accountable. Yes, we can tinker with things. Yes, we can create. Yes, all those things are true. 
But just start with you being faithful to what God's put on your heart. I'm going to get an email on that one for sure. But my email address is chowie at encountertrinity.com. How you might contextualize it. God has made me aware of and how they need. I will participate in helping them by. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The phrase pure in heart, man, I went back and forth linguistically, reading through different commentaries, doing language work, and I had a hard time. I can see why the translators, it's, it's hard to get what they meant then into what we use like as axioms or phrases or words today. But, so this is my attempt to do that. The phrase pure in heart may be best understood in its modern context with the word attention. So think attention. Blessed are those who turn down any noise that is keeping you from hearing and walking with God. If you do this, you will hear and see God. So the general rule of life might be this. We are a people who know how and what to say no to. We ruthlessly eliminate the hurry and noise in our modern world so we can say yes to being with God in regular rhythms. We ruthlessly eliminate the hurry so that we can say yes to God in regular rhythms. Uh, Yeah, man, there is so much that's drawing your attention. It is a spiritual discipline to say no. You just have to know what you're supposed to say no to and what you're supposed to say yes to. All right, how you might contextualize it. Uh, I am no longer victim to busyness. Man, if this would only be true, just that alone, Josh. Like if that alone, if, if people in our world could just do that alone, I am no longer victim to busyness. I come up out of the matrix. I am no longer victim to busyness. I will say no to. It's like the people that are like, I don't have time to do devos. And then as you get to know them, you're like, dude, you're binging Seinfeld for four hours every night. Say no! Seinfeld is a pretty good show. I mean, let's be honest. Like, if you're going to... I am no longer victim to busyness. I will say no to, so I can prioritize spending time with God by... And then think about it. Daily, weekly, annual rhythms. Verse 9. I'm going to go quick. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The Jewish concept of peace, we've talked about this a lot in church before. The Jewish concept of peace, even shalom, though that's not the direct translation, but it's the concept. The Jewish concept of peace isn't merely the lack of conflict. It is the introduction of good things. It is equally participating in justice and bringing people joy. It's bringing people joy. How are you bringing people joy? So now Jesus is not saying only look for hurts and help people. He's saying, look at all your brothers and sisters and you bring, be an engine for bringing people joy. The seventh general rule of life might be this. We are a people who participate in justice and we are bringers of joy. We don't only want peace. We don't only want peace. We want to bring joy to people. We give good gifts to others and we take joy in bringing them joy. That's what we do. That's the kind of people we are. It feels good with a young married couple and you come up and you go, hey, I'll babysit your kids one night. You guys go out and have a great meal together. I just want you to know you're loved and seen. We do that kind of stuff all the time, as often as we can, because we are bringers of joy. That's the kind of people we are. How you might contextualize it. I will bring God honoring joy to, who is God put in front of your 
you here by who has God put in front of you here? Verse 10 and 11, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus does something really interesting in this very diverse, boy, I wish I could spend a lot of time talking about context here. Jesus does something really interesting in this very diverse, socially complex historical setting. There was pressure to submit to expectations of all the cultural or all the cultural pressures, right? It was overwhelming. And at the top of the food chain was Pax Romana, literally Roman peace enforced by violent Roman legions. Jesus says to let his rules for living guide you above all and at all costs. So here's how you might word it. You might have to go back and read that again in notes later. I'm going quick now. The eighth general rule of life. We're almost done. We are people who choose to care more about pleasing God than political systems, than social systems, than the arts, or even our cultural origins. We are kingdom of God people first. That's who we please first. Even if it costs us, we do not bow down from our deepest identity. God's favor is greater than man's favor. We live in our old kingdom, right? Like this world, we are literally ambassadors in this old kingdom, but we are citizens of the new kingdom. So this is how you might contextualize it. I commit to honor God by, even if it costs me. You don't understand, Pastor Mike, I might lose my job if I don't twist this or fake these numbers or... Do you fear God or man more? That's the final thought on this. Then verse 11, the very last part, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Man, how Jesus ends. He's like, here are my rules for life. And by the way, it's gonna be tough at times, but heaven's coming. We live in honor and joy, committed to encourage each other that the best is yet to come. We do this regularly, the best is yet to come. So the ninth general rule of life, the last one I have for this section, there are more for sure in the Sermon on the Mount, but just to get us started. The ninth general rule of life, we are a people who live grateful. We remind each other of heaven and encourage each other to stay faithful. That's what we do. Engines of gratitude and encouragement, that's what we do. On a Sunday morning when you show up, it's good to see you, I love that you're here. I like what you're wearing today. That's supposed to reference the early part. It was funny to me, not to you. Fine. How you might contextualize it. I choose gratitude and joy. I will look for God's beauty and remember his promises so I can speak beautiful things over my brothers and sisters in Christ. I will do this by volunteering in youth ministry, helping out with whatever, right? Being a greeter at the front door, you know, just being faithful to come here and encourage people and love it, shake a hand, say hi. Like you are an engine for encouragement and grace. Final thought, and I'm done. I went way long. You are guided by explicit and implicit forces. You are. You are guided by explicit and implicit forces. Do you see them? Very few have the spiritual and intellectual awareness to see the veiled forces that compass their life. Even fewer people have the ability to build new rules for living. Even fewer yet understand 
that Christ, as he himself says about himself, even fewer yet understand that Christ is the only one who offers rules for living that lead to absolute satisfaction. Heaven, John 14, 6. So I leave before you. Some sermons end and they're like big emotional pushes. Some sermons end. I just want to leave you with this today. What does this mean to you? What do Jesus' rules of living mean for you? What's one thing that maybe you could consider? Just, Holy Spirit, even now you speak. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.